about 100 kilometers of the southeast coast of Vietnam are a cluster of islands collectively known as Con Dao. It is a beautiful and pristine archipelago known for its stunning scenery and unspoilt natural environment. The islands are characterized by rugged cliffs, lush forests shrouding the land, and idyllic beaches with white sand and turquoise waters. Far from the mainland, it appears to be a heavenly oasis, yet behind the picturesque beauty there is a dark and horrifying history. Kondao is in fact said to be one of the most notoriously haunted places in Asia. Hi there, I'm Jake. Welcome to Colonial Ghosts, where we explore not only the historical impact of colonialism, but the related hauntings that can still be felt today. Now, we all know about the Vietnam War, whether it's through history lessons or literature, movies or even politics. That bloody conflict is still quite new in modern history terms, as it's less than only 50 years since the events of April 1975 that saw the largest helicopter evacuation in history from Saigon. While this well-known chapter of history tells of a country torn apart by war, destruction and loss, it often overshadows the preceding past of the country, where a hundred years of colonial rule shaped the destiny of Vietnam and has led to some of the country's most darkest hauntings. So to start, in the mid-19th century, France began its colonization of Vietnam, then known as French Indochina, as part of its larger effort to expand its empire in Southeast Asia. French officials in the region had been pressuring the Vietnamese to open trade and diplomatic relations for several years, and in parallel, force had been placed closer to home. In Paris, Napoleon III, the nephew of the original Napoleon, saw the expansion of French influence in Southeast Asia to bolster France's global power and prestige. While he did not directly order the invasion of Vietnam, he did approve it, and provided the funding and resources necessary for a military campaign. In 1858, backed by the French government and the emperor, a military expedition attacked and captured the port city of Da Nang on the central coast of Vietnam. The Vietnamese court, led by Emperor Tu Duc, attempted to negotiate and offered to open up trade and re diplomatic relations. But it was too late. Attracted to Vietnam's natural resources, the powers in Paris sought to exploit them for economic gain. With Vietnam being a strategic location for trade routes and a gateway to other parts of Southeast Asia, further attacks were quickly launched on more Vietnamese coastal cities. Equipped with advanced weapons and technology that the Vietnamese had never encountered, the sound of gunfire and cannon filled the air as the French launched their assault. The Vietnamese fought back, but it was clear they were outmatched. As the French marched inland, they encountered strong resistance from local Vietnamese leaders and guerrilla fighters who used their knowledge of the terrain to their advantage. Despite the courage and determination of the Vietnamese resistance, it was no match for the overwhelming power of the French army. The French prevailed due to superior military technology and tactics, rapidly occupying large areas of the country and establishing colonial administrations to impose rule over the local population. While the conflict resulted in losses on both sides, it resulted in thousands of Vietnamese civilians being killed and displaced, and one of the most significant aspects of the French campaign in 1858 was the use of divide-and-conquer dirty politics tactics. 
By playing different Vietnamese groups against each other, the French were able to weaken resistance and assert their control over the region more effectively. A combination of military force, political maneuvering and cultural imperialism, French Indochina was established in 1887 and was seen as a source of wealth and resources ripe to be exploited. The colonizers, believing themselves to be better than the Vietnamese, viewing them as inferior and in need of reform, imposed the language, religion and customs on the local population. Policies were implemented to subjugate the locals, including forced labor, high taxes and restrictions on culture and language. In parallel began a program of assimilation, part of a broader colonial ideology that saw French culture and civilization as superior to that of the domestic populace. Under this new rule, Vietnam underwent significant changes as European systems of governance and education were introduced. The French sought to modernize Vietnam and bring it into the fold of the civilized world as they saw it. This meant imposing their way of life on the Vietnamese people with the goal of creating a new hybrid society that combined French and Vietnamese elements. One of the major ways in which the French sought to assimilate the Vietnamese was through education. They established a new system of schools which were only available to a select few Vietnamese students as a way of creating a class of upcoming educated elites who would be loyal to the French colonial regime. Another aspect of assimilation was to set up a centralized system of administration with French officials appointed to key positions of power. This meant that the Vietnamese were effectively excluded from any political process and had little say in the governance of their own country. And even the legal system was not exempt, which was quickly reformed to be based on French law. But if justice was to be expected, it often went unfelt with harsher discriminatory punishments for local Vietnamese compared to French people for exactly the same crimes. French-style art, literature and music was heavily forced, as was religion. Although most of the population practiced Buddhism, beliefs of Taoism and ancestor worship, suddenly Christianity, very specifically Catholicism, was introduced. The French authorities imposed this religious belief by building churches, schools and hospitals and even offered economic incentives for locals to convert to Christianity while punishing those who refused to do so. While not entirely forced, many Vietnamese people, particularly those in urban areas, were then drawn to Catholicism for its social and economic benefits. For those who converted, education and employment opportunities were provided, giving an almost immediate access to better social status and economic mobility. But despite the French efforts, many Vietnamese people resisted the imposition of French culture and values. Nationalism grew in response to colonialism as people began to seek their own cultural traditions and identity. This oppression ultimately led to a series of rebellions and uprisings, including the famous resistance movement led by Ho Chi Minh, who would later become the leader of North Vietnam during the war and have Saigon renamed in his honour shortly after the conflict for which the country is so well known for in modern history. But let's get to why we're really here. In 1861, under the directive of the French governors, the Condau prison was erected with the primary aim of detaining and psychologically demoralising anyone who dared to resist the colonial regime. The location was specifically selected because of its geographical isolation from the mainland, making it virtually impossible for prisoners to escape. Built on the largest of the islands, Con Son, and operational for more than a hundred years, the prison grew to become a complex, 
with four different detention camps, each with its own appalling history. It was an ominous establishment that quickly earned the reputation of being a hell on earth for those who were incarcerated there, a site of horrific atrocities, including torture and debilitating disease, the site serves as a poignant reminder of the depths of depravity that we can sink to. Even when the French colonial rule came to an end in 1954, the legacy of oppression and brutality was not at an end. The detention centres that were initially built to suppress Vietnamese dissent were handed over to the South Vietnamese military, who were aided and supervised by American advisers. These facilities were then used to incarcerate and hold captive Viet Cong fighters and individuals who were sympathetic to the cause, closed only in 1975 when North Vietnamese forces prevailed and the prison's atrocities were uncovered in full. During its use, more than 20,000 political prisoners were punished at Condale, and most never made it out alive. Thousands of corpses were dumped in mass graves at the base of Tangiar Mountain, which sits at the heart of the island's national park. According to popular belief in Vietnam, the souls of individuals who experienced an unjust death, pain or starvation, remain dissatisfied and unable to reincarnate, a central part of Buddhism which causes them to drift aimlessly among the living. So it's little wonder that many residents today have had unsettling experiences, which are usually attributed to the haunted souls of deceased inmates wandering the area, tormented by the suffering they experienced in life. A major part of the prison was Fuson Camp, established in 1908, containing several large recreational rooms, a medical building, a chapel, cafeteria, gardens, and even a hair salon. It only had 14 cells. With the benefit of hindsight, it is sometimes suggested that Fuson was a facade, a lenient prison in the public eye to address both the growing anti-French sentiment and to encourage the reporting of any political dissidents to the authorities. After all, it sounds more like a small holiday camp than a detention centre. But hidden behind Fusan was Futiong, an impressive, terrible place marked by the French-style tiger cages. Out of sight from the public, these cells were designed to both break the spirit and slowly kill their occupants. Nowadays, their use is generally considered to be a violation of international human rights laws. Constructed with concrete walls and floors, the ceiling was made of iron bars with a pathway running along the middle that allowed jailers to torment inmates from up high. Whether it was throwing skin-burning lime powder or stabbing with long, sharp sticks, there was no escape for those below, who were often stripped of their clothes and restrained with thick iron bars around their ankles. In each cage were several rooms, each no more than four or five square meters in size and containing up to a dozen prisoners. A signature feature was the connecting sunbathing room, where prisoners were stripped and exposed to the scorching sun by day and freezing cold at night. Worse still were the reputed cow cages, isolation cells connected to a deep underground vault for storing excrement from farm animals at the complex. These cells were integrated into the sewage system as part of sustained torture. Prisoners were beaten until they bled and repeatedly submerged in the animal waste, resulting in parasitic worms and often fatal infections. Even regular cells were unbearable, as metal roofs and no ventilation intensified the oppressive tropical heat. Those incarcerated were weak with malnutrition, forced to eat insects and worms to supplement their meagre amounts of rice. 
Occasionally, guards would pass out small portions of meat or fish that had been left outside in the heat to rot, so this diet, combined with the lack of sanitation, caused dysentery, again resulting in the death of many detainees. Not all of those sent to Condau were imprisoned. Many people also found themselves there under the sentence of execution. The most famous is probably Vo Thi Sao. Born into poverty, aged just 14, she joined the Viet Minh resistance initially as a lookout. It was the French National Day celebration in July 1948 when she moved from scout to fighter, throwing a grenade at a group of soldiers in a market, injuring 12 and killing one. After this, she made several assassination attempts on Vietnamese supporters of the French, and it was one of these a year later that led to her capture when another explosive failed to detonate. A trial was hurriedly rushed through where authorities sentenced her to death. But public reaction was not in her favour. As she was both a minor and female, there was strong resentment of this decision by both Vietnamese and French societies. With tensions across the country running high, the courts had no choice but to grant a stay of execution, placing her in the Cam Chi Ha prison in Saigon. However, she was seen to be the worst kind of threat there could be to their system, a symbol of hope. Aged 19, she was secretly smuggled out to Condal. Arriving late in the afternoon, she spent the night in a cell at the island's small police station before being marched to the waterfront as the sun was rising, where seven guards waited with rifles. According to accounts, Voti Sao refused to be blindfolded, staring down her executors. As the volley of shots rang out, it was apparent that she had survived. Despite the pain she must have been in, she was defiant to the end, glaring fiercely at the officer in charge as he strode across, pulled out his pistol, pointed at her head and pulled the trigger. Soon afterwards, inmates tried to construct a small grave for her, but the authorities destroyed it. This repeated for several weeks, but following the unforeseen suicides of certain jailers and deaths of collaborating prisoners, those in charge began to feel nervous. The tipping point came from multiple reports of a dark female figure who had been seen wandering the desolate shoreline in the early hours of the morning. Soon a small memorial was built and allowed to stand in an effort to appease her apparently vengeful spirit. Over time, the memorial has grown, and so has Voti Sao's legend. Her resistance to the colonialists, even in her final minutes of life, is her legacy and death. Her grave is the site of pilgrimage for many Vietnamese, and every night, a midnight vigil is held there for her, both out of respect and the belief in helping her to find peace. But if a teenage revolutionary is a symbol of hope at Condao, then the Martin La Bridge is one of futility. Found deep in the jungle of Condao, the haunting relic of the past, known as Martin La Bridge, or the Ghost Bridge, can still be seen today. Accessible through the National Park, visitors travel up a small road for several miles along a narrow path with tall grass on both sides before reaching the stone ruins that remain. This unfinished bridge takes its name from the Martin La Mountain in North Korea, renowned for its difficult and steep terrain, and has a tragic history. Its dark origins ensure that lingering presences are still felt by those who visit the site. The construction of the bridge began in 1930 with the purpose of connecting a road across the island and enabling the transfer of stone, wood and other materials for building infrastructure. It's difficult to imagine the emotions of the Condau prisoners being taken into the forest. 
Maybe at first it was thankfulness they were out of their inhumane cells, but this was probably replaced by desperation once they realised the task ahead. And they would be right to be fraught this way, because the construction of the ghost bridge came at an enormous cost. The location was in a craggy, rough position, meaning construction was going to be a challenge. From hauling materials uphill in searing tropical heat, to backbreaking physical labour, the conditions were harsh with long hours and little regard for safety. On top of the exhausting work, the prisoners were subjected to punishing hours, little food, lack of water, accidents and brutal treatment by the guards. As a result, many died from exhaustion, disease and malnutrition. Maybe it was because of this only slow progress was made. By 1940, when Japan invaded and occupied Vietnam as part of their expansionist ambitions during World War II, the work on the bridge was still ongoing. The Japanese presence in Vietnam during the occupation was marked by oppression and exploitation, although much of it was inflicted upon the native population. The Japanese allowed the French colonial government to remain in control for most of the occupation, but significantly reduced their authority. For the next four years, the French colonial authorities in Vietnam implemented a policy of coexistence with the Japanese, regardless of global developments. However, by the beginning of 1945, Japan's fortunes in the war had taken a turn for the worst, and the occupying force accused French colonists of aiding the Allies. As a result, the Japanese withdrew their support for the colonial regime, leading to the removal of French power. All officials and military officers were arrested and detained, and all French soldiers were disarmed. It's unclear about what happened in Kondao around this time, but we do know that when the US dropped their atomic weapons in Japan, construction on Martin La was halted. The records we do have show that by this point, around 350 prisoners had died from hunger, exposure, accidents and disease during the construction, although these are just the ones we know about. Any further building was completely abandoned, with only two 8 meter high abutments completed, with nothing joining them together. It seems quite fitting that Martin La has no crossing. If the stories are to be believed, the spirits of many of the deceased workers are still here to this day, unable to progress their journey after death. Over the years, the bridge has gained a reputation as a haunted site, with visitors reporting sightings of ghosts and unexplained phenomena. Others have said, they feel an overwhelming sense of sadness or despair, as if they are somehow connected to the emotional suffering of those who died during the construction. The apparitions of the prisoners are said to be particularly chilling, with some people reporting they have seen figures wandering the bridge foundations or standing motionless in the shadows. There are also claims of moving objects, and visitors have described feeling a sudden drop in temperature despite the tropical heat, as if they have walked into a cold spot or an icy wind has breezed past them. Little scepticism can be found among the locals. The strong cultural belief in appeasing lost spirits is visible through a memorial close to the ruins of the bridge. Incense is usually burning there alongside fresh flowers as a mark of remembrance. One account involves a villager who was sitting with his friend enjoying a drink one evening close to the ruins. As they sat there talking and laughing, they noticed a strange figure standing in the distance. The figure was a man with long hair wearing white clothes. He stood perfectly still, staring at the two men as they continued to chat. Suddenly, the figure vanished into thin air, leaving the two men in a state of shock as they bolted back down the road they had come. 
Martin La has its foundations, but no bridge. It remains unfinished, a bleak monument of futility, and given its tragic history, it's difficult to ignore the heavy atmosphere it creates and the brutal atrocities it reminds us of that took place across the island. The French colonial period in Vietnam lasted over a century and had a profound impact on the country's history and culture. Oppression, exploitation and violence were also brought to Vietnam during this time. Shaping a significant path into the modern world, it remains an essential, although dark, part of the country's story and one that is often forgotten or ignored. Much like the unfinished, abandoned bridge hidden in the Condao jungle, the colonialism of Vietnam is an often overlooked aspect of human greed and exploitation. Both are built at great cost, not just in resource and investment, but in terms of human lives and emotional destruction. <laughs>